you all. God, be with us. It was a few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to the cohort. First time out of the country, to Haiti, to a, a land that as a cohort, we prepared to, as we thought, minister to one of the poorest countries in the world, Haiti. We found ourselves there anticipating going. Um, originally, we were to go to Africa, but things changed our course, and we ended up going to Haiti. As God had it, God would see our cohort safely to, to Haiti. Now, that journey there, uh, from the leaving of my house that morning, to my feet laying in, in Haiti was a journey all by itself. Difficulty just leaving out of the house, hurdles and challenges to get over, just getting to the airport was a challenge. Not just with the baggage, but even just the, the, the shuttle getting there. Once we were there, it was difficulty, amen, again, just getting from Port-au-Prince to the most northern west side of Haiti, Paul Craig. We journeyed what was told, amen, eight hours. <laughs> Ended up being 16 hours over not just the hills, it felt like mountains. And over and over again, closely on the edge, uh, our lives at times literally been thinking and praying, praying, hoping that this car would make it over these hills. The saints, while we were there, when we got there, it was amazing to see the strength of community with the mission that we were there to support. Strength of community that was there. And the people who were there, who knew the Lord, from their poverty over and over and over again kept saying, God be with you. God be with you. God be with you. And at that time, to say, I gotta be honest with you, I didn't, it didn't have the impact that it now has until I looked at this, this verse. It didn't have the impact in my life of bringing to bear what it is to have God with me, particularly in the events that unfolded in 2020. God be with us. God be with us. That's my hope. I stopped by this morning to encourage you that you can be confident as you move forward in the future, knowing that God you can be confident. Moving into the future, knowing that God is with you. The Apostle Paul ministered this to the church at Corinth, the church that he established. This is the second time he's writing to his church. First time he wrote to his church, he sorted out, sorted out matters, difficulties, 
challenges he wrote to this church. However, there were Judaizers in the midst, those who were believers, but yet they were Jewish believers, but yet mandated on the people or put on the people that there was a requirement to live as Jews and to continue in Judaism. And so these men who were in the church, Paul calls them false teachers, who would also become his enemies and push up against what Paul was preaching and what he was teaching. So much so that this church began to continue down this path of the STD that they had. No, not a venereal disease. But they were sinful, troubled, and divided. They were, uh, the Judaizers would say with Paul, and they would speak of his stature, speak of his voice, talk about uh, his, his way of ministry didn't have power, talk about his words that he used, the demonstration of his ministry, they, they tried to uh, squander, to push down. But yet Paul, he, he wasn't into words, flowery words. He wasn't into stature, acclaim. He trusted in the word of God to work in the people of God to bring about the fruit that God was looking for. He wasn't caught up. And you acknowledging him or calling him reverend, pastor, apostle, none of that. He wasn't caught up in that. He was caught up that your nose would be in the word of God and that you would be built up in your most holy faith so that you can live out your life and exemplify Christ in all of the world. So, the second letter to the church of Corinth is a passionate plea most emotional letter that he wrote. You see Paul's passion and his concern. Even in the face of his enemies, he still writes to this church. Yes, he defends himself. Paul does have no flesh. The Spirit of God allowed him by, by his spirit as he wrote to defend himself. But as he closes, notice at the end of verse 14, he says, be with you all. He does not just pronounce this benediction of blessing on those who are following him and are with him, even on his enemies. He prays that God will be with you all. Now, as I hopefully put your nose into this passage here, I want you to pay attention to these words. Notice the definite article, the and how many times it's used. Because it makes all the difference in the world with this passage. Notice five times you have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul says the grace. The grace. Now, we are familiar with grace. But Paul says the grace. The indication when you use a definite article is that something was said before that you're familiar with. He's not just talking about grace. 
He said, the bricks. So he's calling their minds and their attention to what he has built up and labored about grace. And then more specifically, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, certainly know to be un God's unmerited, unmerited love. But as I put my notes in this passage again, there were some things that came out in grace, another facet of it, that came out where it needs to incline towards, to be disposed of, to be favorable towards, to be extended to give oneself away. Where's your mind going? Do you hear the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am weak and holy in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just this benefit of God, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is extending himself towards you all, to us, if we will come unto him. Grace is available to you and I if we come. Come unto me. He's leaning forward. He's disposing of himself. He's extending himself forward. Come unto me. Paul said earlier, you know the grace, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For ye, ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he might become rich. Notice that. Notice that. I don't know about you, but I have not lost the implications of what it is to be a child of God. Sometimes I have to remind myself, particularly as I go on in life and have some successes, amen, and start to enjoy some of the blessings of God, I have to be reminded that it is God who has pulled me out of darkness, translated me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I, I have to be bring to bear and realize that who I was before I met Christ. Y'all don't hear me here. That when I, before I met them, I was sinful, lost, on my way, a slippery slope, fast-paced, on my way to hell. But God, I said, but God, by his grace and his mercy, he switched places with me. Him being rich became poor. Ah, Lord Jesus. So that I, can become rich. Oh, Lord Jesus. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. Do you realize this morning that if you name the name of Christ, you have the right, the authority that you are a child of God? Come on here now. 
you can the news waves are full of human rights. I have my rights. Yeah, I don't know how much rights that we actually have in this country, but one of the things I value, I keep within me, is the fact, and that nobody can take this from me, that I am a child of God. Hey, Tim, 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 tell help me out with this. See, the, the blessing becomes more rich when you're able to take an account that the inner man has far more value than his outward man. And that in this country, we tend to put so much of our time and our attention on this outer man. And we have this misconception as long as I'm in good health, I'm prospering, and all is going well outwardly, we're misled to believe that that's happiness. However, you can have all of that going on and go out into the world in weakness. But if your inner man is together, built up in the Lord Jesus Christ, things around you, dreams are being dashed, hopes are falling apart, health is not what it is. You can still go out into the world yet in strength and people can look upon you and not have a clue of what's going on in your life because down on the inside, I said down on the inside, the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace is working in such a fabulous way. And so in order for us to really enjoy this passage, is to take in consideration the inward man and what God said. Paul, I found this very interesting, Paul, that when he writes to these churches these prayers, notice that he doesn't pray for the magistrates to be taken down. He doesn't, he doesn't pray for, you know, necessarily who would be taken out of bondage and that kind of thing. No, he prays for the saints and that their inward man will be built up. What is that? Because down on the inside, again, when your inner man is together, you can go out in strength. Second Corinthians, here is a prayer that Paul prayed three times. He asked that the Lord would take this, this thorn from him. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. The Lord Jesus Christ responded to Paul's prayer that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Again, again, you notice the Lord Jesus Christ, he could have took it the thorn away, but he did send it on purpose, a messenger, a man of Satan, to buffet them. Because he's seen so much, God allowed him to see so much, he didn't want Paul's head to be so puffed up, he allowed this thing to buffet him. So it had purpose. And Paul prayed Christ three times that the Lord would remove this, but he did not. Instead, he said, what I'm trying to get your nose in this morning, my grace, it is sufficient, it is enough. Knowing going forward into this year, God's grace, Lord Jesus Christ's grace is enough. When you consider the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just be clear about who we're talking about. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oftentimes I hear people say, call him Jesus, just, just call him Jesus. I had this, I don't know what happened early in my salvation, I had this thing, the Lord Jesus, right? Because the Lord speaks of, declares, Lord declares his deity. Let's keep that together, right? Jesus speaks of his humanity, huh? And Christ speaks of his sovereignty. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, He's God in the flesh, and He's sovereign. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two more saints and I'll be out of the way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love, the love of God. The love of God. Saints, as I was looking at this passage and studying and preparing, I got hung up. I got I had to stop here. Because emotionally, I, I, I thought I had a grip, a handle, a John 3.16 on God's love. But I began to see, I began to take it down so many rabbit trails when it comes to God's love because it's so vast. Because it's so high, you can't get over Because it. it's so wide, you can't get around it. Goes down so deep you can't get under. So I just begin to feel so inadequate. But it just brought me back here to this, what I'm going to try to share with you, the agape love of God. The unconditional love of God. That word is a verb, it's an action word. It's not just a noun, it's not a thing. It's an action word. And it's inexplicable. It's it's hard to explain this unconditional, spontaneous expression of the inner person expressed by the giving of the total being. Think of that. When it comes to God, yes, it is a feeling, but it's not just a feeling. It's this expression of God towards another where it's this total being that he gives of himself. And he does it without a requirement. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, speaking to his people, I haven't chosen you because you're so cute. Because you got it all together, because you're special. No, you're the smallest of all the nations out there. And in fact, I loved you because I love you. For that reason alone, God loves you. He has decided to set his affection on you. And that right there says begin to melt me, begin to humble me, begin to bring into my inner being such a an awe of them that I had to pause and stop in my study and just worship and adore him and just allow him to minister to me at that moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love towards us when we were yet in our sins. He didn't wait for us to get ourselves together. While I was out there living as I so sinfully pleased, Christ died for my sins. Revelation speaks of this concept that I still wrestle with. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 speaks about the Lamb being slain 
before the foundation of the world. I don't know how you conclude with that. But somewhere in the cosmic and eternity past, I don't even know how to put my hands around it, but God already determined in his heart that Christ was going to be slain before it happened. God was already loving you before he said, let there be light. Something about that truth that still resonates down in my innermost being. Then you know, John 3, 16, right? But you know what amplifies John 3, 16? For God is two-letter word. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God does not abandon. He does not give up. He is not short-fused. He is long-suffering. We sang a little bit earlier, Lamentations chapter 3, 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great, I said great, great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God's love, God's love, the love of God. Lastly, saints, now, get out of your way. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship, the word we're probably familiar with, again, but Paul is speaking specifically about fellowship. He's speaking about a strength of community. In the verses above that we read earlier, finally, brothers rejoice, aim for restoration, Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and the saints greet you. This fellowship that Paul speaks of, this communion, and we're going to really take part in communion when we're done. This communion, this coming together. This partnership is with the Holy Spirit. And let me get this clear as well. That when it comes to the Trinity, and I'm not sure where all of us fall with that, but he is one God who by nature is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Equal and power and glory and an honor. So and to have the Holy Spirit with us, partnering with us, is no less God the Son, no less God the Father. He is God altogether. Y'all don't hear me. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, when the Lord Jesus Christ is telling his disciples, I gotta go. 
I'm preparing to go. But be of good comfort. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Oh, Jesus. When Jesus said, when the Lord Jesus Christ said that I am going to go, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you another comforter, he is not giving to the disciples at that time and us today anything less than who he was with them. He is providing with them the comforter. Oh, Lord Jesus. The comforter, the comforter, the comforter is with you. He's with you. He, he is a person. He's personal, powerful. He protects. He preserves. He convicts. He comforts. He counsels. And he calls. The Spirit of God who resides down on the inside, whose temple we are, is with you. And I was called to attention how Paul deals with the Trinity in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. He speaks of how the Father works in our salvation. He speaks of how the Son works in our salvation. And then he talks about the Spirit. And I just want to lift this up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, in them also, speaking of Christ, Paul was writing, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And looking at this afresh one more time, my original analogy broke down. So I used to see this thing as an envelope. And what you put in the envelope, we seal, either by pulling that strip or lifting it or however you do, and it's sealed. But the text, when you look at the word sealed, it yields more than that. It signifies the authority and the possession of the one who sealing, seals that the, the contents belong to. Belong to. So again, my spirit was overwhelmed. Again, I could just put, put my head down just to realize that I belong. I am the possession. I am the purchased possession. I am owned by God. He has sealed me. That takes, again, any self-confidence, any of those things I had in my grid, in my mind, it just lines it up and puts it. I belong to God. And again, from that moment, it put in my inner man another level of confidence that I belong to Him. I'm sealed. With the Holy Ghost. He's the comforter. He's the helper. He's the paraclete. The one who comes alongside. He's the one who is with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. And the sweet, sweet, sweet communion of the Holy Ghost. 
be with you all. Amen.